0: I think we'll go ahead and get started. I, we're, I don't want, I want to keep everything on track as much as we can. Uh, let's open with prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, you are a great and mighty sovereign Lord. Lord, and every good gift we have comes from above and comes from you. Lord, we thank you for the children you've given us and the children that you are, uh, are yet to give us. We pray, Lord, that we would be good stewards of these children of yours that we're being uh, asked to raise. Uh, We pray, Lord, that uh, we would do this faithfully, and we would hear, uh, well done, good and faithful servant at the end of this time of parenting and of uh, serving you. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome, everyone. Good to have you here. The title is on the board there, so if you're in the wrong room... I guess if you're in the wrong room, you're in the wrong room. I don't know where to go with that. But uh, who, I, I, I'm, my name is Mike Arndt. I'm a, a member of uh, Christ the Word Church in Toledo. I know a lot of you uh, don't know me, so I wanted to introduce myself. Who in the room has daughters? Okay, just getting an idea of, 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 of who we're dealing with here. Um, I have daughters as well, which probably, is probably required for me to be able to do this. In fact, I was looking for a picture of uh, This is the last picture I have with all of my daughters together. Does anybody know where that is? Is it Chicago? Chicago? That's Millennium Park. That's that, the, the chrome bean or whatever it's called that I'd never, uh, I'd never heard of before. I actually got in the picture, too. That's me with the flash going in the upper left corner. Um, we all had, a, in Toledo and most of the Midwest, had a real mild winter. We had one really cold, snowy weekend. That's the weekend I took my seven daughters on a bus to Chicago and got dumped off in downtown Chicago at, at the Union Station at... Uh, six in the morning it was two degrees above zero. And we spent a couple days together. uh, And and so the thing. my wife is back home. I have four sons in addition to my seven daughters. And, And so my wife is home with my sons. And she has one thought on her mind. We don't have too many women in the room here. But what's the thought you have on your mind is I have my seven daughters on a bus and we're wandering downtown Chicago. Yeah, they're going to die. Yeah, it's, it's two, two degrees. It's the, they're going to die exactly. So um, what I did was I used these are all poorly, uh, these are all poor quality pictures. They were taken from my cell phone, and, and periodically through the day I would send these to my wife to show her that they, they were all still okay. And so here we are at the bean, and we, it was rolling. Now we got six inches of snow. Uh, my daughter's favorite part of the trip was the Lego store uh, on Michigan Avenue, and that's uh, Woody. That's uh, from, from Toy Story, and uh, we were, uh, he's made out of Legos, and we, we didn't use that as an example of what kind of guy we want our daughters to marry or anything, but, but we, we had that picture. Now, this was a picture I sent that night. There were six to eight inches of snow. Cars were getting stuck in the intersections. And there was a near-blizzard condition, and what it it made was it made for Giordano's, which is a great deep-dish pizza place in Chicago. It made no line, and about 10 people in the entire restaurant. So I sent this picture to my wife to say, we survived the day, and we're eating deep-dish pizza. But if you look at the picture carefully, you'll see only six girls are in the picture. And, And what happened is my daughter Emily is down here. She was with me. But I, what was meant to be a picture that was to be comforting to my wife prompted a very quick phone call that said, where's Emily? And that's, that's not Emily. This is actually Hannah, my youngest daughter, and this is on the bus trip back. She's a combination of fatigue and then eating half that box of Dunkin' Donuts that's over there on the left. So um, I, I'm the father of seven daughters. And again, that, that's, that's the most recent pictures I have with them all together. Um, it, as a, as I want to cover four things that I think as men and and, and women as well, but especially as fathers that we need to teach our daughters. And, and the first is to be gracious. And I and I want to start out by doing something that maybe nobody else at the conference is doing, is I'm going to quote a radical feminist liberal uh, named Naomi Wolf. Has anybody ever heard of Naomi Wolf before? Okay, several of you. Uh, some of you may know her from the 2000 election. She was the consultant that was trying to tell Al Gore how to dress to look like an alpha male. But, but she's aligned herself typically with, with radical causes, feminist causes, liberal causes. And I'm going to read something of hers that describes uh, women, but I'm, and I'm actually going to agree with it. So um, bear with me on this. If that's uh, well, bear with me as I go through this. This is this is actually written by Naomi Wolf, two women. But but I want to start with this as a launch point for our discussion on being gracious. Uh, what was your earliest heartbreak? Was your first experience of emotional devastation caused by a guy? That's unlikely. If you were a woman, chances are your first experience of emotional emotional treachery was at the hands of another girl. I recall being bothered by the fact that the adorable Mark, the mop-headed sixth-grader who resembled Speed Racer, was blithely uninterested in me when I was 11. But that discomfort was nothing compared with the devastation I felt when I slowly began to realize, as if I were in a horror film populated by preteen girls, that the cheerful, board game-playing trio that I had helped create, Claire, Sarah, and me, had somehow changed into a lip gloss-wearing, cigarette-smoking, boy-kissing duo. It was I who was suddenly defined as being outside this charmed emotional space. It was not just the newly intimate friendship of my former two best friends that hurt so much. It was realizing how deliciously my exclusion and their awareness of how I felt about my exclusion added to the, to the cachet of their new configuration. I've seen this dynamic again and again. When there's a female rivalry, it is not done with dispatch. Blood gets left on the floor. Men form rivalries or alliances with other men in order to achieve a goal, to take a battlefield or a playing field. They don't need to do it in a way that leaves an emotional mess, tears, or recriminations. But when women are aggressive toward one another, the methods are stealthier and the fallout more bitter. Women tend to mix up love and longing with hostility, to be attracted to what they wish to condemn or destroy. It was for female friendships, not male, that the term frenemy was popularized. And when women are in groups, often the jockeying for position, the alliance forming, the exclusion, and the power politics can be so savage that one starts looking, down, looking around desperately for a whiff of testosterone just to calm things down. Again, this is a radical feminist who writes this. But adult women's rivalries can have tremendous power and fascination. Mary, Queen of Scots, was a thorn in the side of her quasi-sibling, Queen Elizabeth, through both of their lives until Elizabeth took the ultimate irritated sister step and had Mary beheaded. Uh, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis vied for the role of premier diva of their generation. Jane Mansfield tried to wrest attention away from Sophia Loren. We can recall the lurid drama of skater Tanya Harding, whose ex-husband attempted to dis- disable her rival, the more aristocratic-looking and more privileged skater Nancy Kerrigan. And this, the article goes on and on with more examples of this. But uh, for me, a, a man who had two sons and then seven daughters in a row, I was, I was struck by the difference in the sin committed by my sons and my, than my daughters. And again, I realize there's differences and there's personalities involved. But in general, the sins of my boys have been out front. And if we think about the sins that young boys are likely to commit, what, what do we think of? Even teenage boys, which probably helps to clue you in which sin I'm talking about here. But pornography, idolatry, uh, violence in general, right? Uh, but, but yet we still have those same sins in women. The, their pornography tends to be more driven toward romance. It's fantasizing of just a different kind. The violence in between women is, is, just, is often described in the way in this article that I just read. Uh, when I was in uh, my freshman year of college, I was staying in an all-guys dorm and we went to freshman orientation and one of the parents had asked about the security deposit that, that was taken for the dorms and they said, well, if there's any damage in community areas, at the end of the season, at the end of the school year, that money will be deducted from everyone's security deposit. And he then went on to say that he'd been doing this job 20-some years and none of the girls' dorms had ever had any damage done to them, but all the boys' dorms had always been the ones that had the money taken out. In my dorm, the wall was removed at one point to the, to the TV area. It was not me. And so I had lost a decent chunk of my security deposit. So that's, those are the sins we think about with boys. They're very violent. It's very out front. Uh, not, not all the time, Some, certainly sexual sin with boys is often hidden, but with girls, I was led to believe early on as a parent that their sin wasn't as great, but it would just end up being more, it was quieter, it was nipping, it was more of this picking that we hear described in the article. And so, uh, I, I, our, both our sons and our daughters need to be taught to be gracious, but I think the graciousness that we need to steer our daughters for, toward especially is one in which we encourage them to forgive. Uh, my experience in dealing with young ladies is, is from my, uh, my time as a father of these daughters, but then also my time as an elder in the church where we've dealt with, with issues with, with, with families, both the uh, you know, husband and wife issues, as well as with the children, uh, uh, male and female, in those families. And so, well, let me, I'm uh, having some issues here. Did I reset? All right, let's, uh, let's go to the Word of God. Let me start with this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all, But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What lessons do we have for our daughters just based on this passage? If you took your daughters to this passage tonight when you're back at home, what would you tell them thinking about the sins that they're inclined to commit? Uh, Gossip and and pettiness and lack of forgiveness. what, what What lessons would you pull out of this verse or this passage as you were talking to your daughters? What would you tell them? Right, as, as opposed to what? What's what's if, if, as our daughters are sinning? What are we? What's the opposite of that, Paul? Uh, they're just secluded and basket cases. Okay. Well, that basket cases, or if they do align themselves, they're no, not secluded. They're, they're, they're creating these alliances that we just read a little bit about, right? We seem to, we, I see that with my daughters at times. I've had to deal with that, where even within my own family, if you take out the other girls that they know in the church or in the neighborhood or, or wherever, that there is a sense that they'll pit one against each other and take pleasure in the fact that's there. So as we, as we see our call to be unified, that's an example of well. As it's pointing out to our daughters from this passage that actually that, that pettiness that they, they are tending to take, take part of in their flesh is actually in violation to what we're called to be in, in terms of unified Jesus prayed to his father the disciples would be one just as he and the father are one. So we take that glorious uh, unity in the Trinity and we, we call our kids and we call ourselves to that as well what else in this passage would you say would be a lesson for our daughters as we're encouraging them to be gracious patience, patience. how does that how does that look what is it how does that manifest itself in terms of your daughters Okay. Anybody have an example? I think uh, the component of that is contentment. Mm-hmm. An example would be um, those little brothers and sisters, that like the oldest daughter or older ones. Sure. Like they, they're just so mature. Well, they are. They are mature. Yeah. But they need to bear with them. That's right. That's right. All right. Let's go. Let's, let's keep going with this. Um, uh, this is a. I've got a couple slides for this one. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Allow me to stop there. How much of our daughter's time is spent discussing what they're going to be putting on physically? Clothes at a certain age, makeup later, uh, hairstyles, whatever. Uh, Our our daughters are already inclined in their flesh to want to put on something, right? It's it's, It's a ritual. My boys will wear the same clothing for weeks at a time until I physically remove the clothing from their bodies. But my daughters will often change their clothes several times a day uh, much to uh, out, out, out uh, handling what our laundry room can deal with uh, but, but how many times do we call our daughters to instead worry about what, what kind of clothes what kind of shoes, what kind of hairstyle, what kind of makeup they're wearing how many times do we call on them to put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility meekness and patience. Shouldn't our daughters be clothed in these things instead of, the th- well they're going to be clothed in something of course but shouldn't they be focusing on this clothing more bearing with one another how many times are our daughters okay when i was in high school i went to an all boys high school and uh, we would have a fight in the hallway fairly regularly between two boys things just bubble over they'd throw punches they they they'd kick each other they'd go at you they'd be both walking into the principal's office one of their collars would be ripped and by the time the principal showed up in the office they were already laughing about it they were already joking hey there yeah, your nose is bleeding and yeah look what i did to your shirt <laughs> They'd already be over it. Has anyone ever had this happen with girls before? Yeah. What, what's, <laughs> in, in, at least in their sin, what's more likely to happen with girls? He continues in their heart, in sure. The it goes on for a long time, doesn't it? I think of it as the difference between hockey and baseball. In mm-hmm. hockey, there's a fight, and then it's over, right? There's not been a bench-clearing brawl in hockey in over 20 years because the two guys involved with the, the issue duke it out, and they go back and play again. You often see them talking after the game's over. In baseball, there's a lot of unwritten rules. It's a little bit more like what you see with women, right? They'll be where the pitcher will bean a batter, and then that grudge is held for a long period of time. In one case, one of the, play, one of the pitchers was waiting to bean the batter, and the batter got traded to his team. And that pitcher actually beamed that batter during spring training practice just to get back even though he was on his team. <laughs> and and, and this, is, this is more like what, what we see with the sin of our daughters, right? The, so, the sons have their own sins, and this, this is the daughter class, okay? So we're going to talk about the daughters. But how many times do daughters not let go of the grudge? I have been with adult women in, in our church and, and their husbands as an elder talking to them and have the woman look me straight in the eye and say, I will not forgive her. When there was an issue uh, between two families and a, a son and, and one son and one daughter from each family in, in a relationship that we were counseling both families with, I had the, the mother look me in the eye even when the father wasn't saying this, and the mother said to me, "I will not forgive that family or that woman, the, the mother of that family, for what she said about my son." So, are um, we calling our daughters to put on these or to bear with one another? And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Call our daughters to forgive each other, to forgive us when we sin as parents, to forgive their friends, to forgive their siblings. As the Lord has forgiven you, okay, we point our children to the cross. And we say, look what God the Father has done for us. He's forgiven us. Do we want to start thinking about the sin, how much we owe our Father, and you won't forgive your friend who lives across the street for that one little petty thing she said about your shoes or about your dress? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We see again where, as our daughters are called out in their sin, and we're calling them to forgive, that we actually increase harmony. And that happens in our homes, it happens in our church, it happens everywhere our daughters will be. second part of this is Colossians 3. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Are you going to bed tonight, daughter? all chumped up about what that girl said about you or what the alliance she formed with another girl today? Or do you have the peace of Christ ruling in your heart? You were called, again, called to one body, unity. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell on you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Here's a recipe for what to be doing while you're not sitting in the corner being upset about what your friend said to you. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Always in Scripture, we're, we're often given thankfulness as an alternative to what we don't have and what we're complaining about. All right, this is Paul. And this is, a, this is a verse I've used specifically with my daughters before to deal with some problems we've had in our home. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. This is of a different category of strife than having someone say something bad about your clothes or have someone not talk to you at school, Right? Poorly dressed, buffeted, homeless, hunger and thirst, we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. Daughters, when you're reviled, bless. When you're persecuted, you endure. Deal with it. Push through it. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuge of all things. Are you more concerned about elevating yourself and thinking of yourself higher than others, daughter? Or are you, are you, gonna, are you prepared to think of yourself the way Paul did? And, and, and being beaten down, and then continuing to praise God, enduring, entreating, and, and having no problem be thought of as the scum of the earth. All right. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. This is sort of lesson number two that I have for my daughters when it comes to, when it comes to uh, graciousness, because what I found is I would give all the lessons that we've already kind of gone through here and I'd see them going through the motions. Like, I'll grit my teeth, I'll bear through it. Uh, we expect to see a change, not only in their actions and their words, but ultimately we're looking for a change in their heart. Like, I'm going to sit there and fake a smile when I walk past Susie, uh, get, get sit next to her on the school bus, but I'm not going to mean it. So we call our daughters, we call all of our, our children, but we call specifically our daughters to, ha- to the, 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 out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. They may be able to fake it for a while, but ultimately we'll, we'll see. We'll get a little sliver into their heart. So we are actually looking for good treasure out of their heart and not evil. So it's actually going to the heart and not just. As fathers, sometimes we want to do uh, microwave uh, parenting and sort of say, OK, I've got that one knocked out. And sometimes I've actually found that, I don't think it works any time, but the daughters need more of our time. That we, it takes, it, it, it takes a, you have to draw some things out of their heart. It takes longer. They tend to be more of a, in a slow cooker mode. We're in a, in a microwave mode. We'd like to do OK, we've got problem A, B, C. I'm going to do D, E, and F solution. We're going to put it in place. we gonna be done. Try to be very systematic about it. I think it happens both with sons and daughters. But especially with daughters, I found that the time that I spend looking into their eyes and seeing that their heart is with me on this can, can take quite a bit longer. So, All right, so lesson number one was teach our daughters to be gracious. Lesson number two is teach our daughters to be beautiful. Fathers may be more in tune to the idea of teaching our daughters to be gracious than we are into the idea of teaching our daughters to be beautiful. Every once in a while, you you, you think to yourself as the father of daughters, okay, maybe a burka is not such a bad idea after all, right? <laughs> it, 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 and we have to fight. We have to fight that. Okay, we have to fight that. And I think that too. I think I, I see interactions between boys and girls. And if I'm being very shallow and short sighted. Now I'm not speaking against modesty. Uh, What I'm speaking against is the idea of somebody thinking that my daughter's beautiful and how difficult that is for me at times as a father. And and I, I, I confess that I need to get past that when I have those thoughts. But we do need to teach our daughters to be beautiful. If you think about the normal pattern in Scripture, okay, well, back up for a minute. The first command that God gave to his people directly was to be fruitful and multiply. And I suspect that, I don't know many of you in this room, but I suspect from what I know about this church that that's not a, I don't need to spend a lot of time talking about that and convincing you. Some of you may not. I suspect you're in the, I'm in the minor, that you're in the minority. But, but if, if, if I start from the premise, is everybody okay with, the, with, with that command, be fruitful and multiply? Well, what is the normal pattern just practically in our lives as well as scripture? We're fruitful and multiply. We give, our wives give birth to daughters, our daughters have to leap that fence to be fruitful and multiply. Well, what happens in between? What happened when you got married? You found your future wife to be beautiful. You started talking to her, you got close to her, at some point you proposed to her, and you got married. But, but we, as fathers, we somehow think that that bridge from us being fruitful and multiplying to our daughters being fruitful and multiplying can include somebody thinking our daughters are beautiful. That, that's, and that's wrong. I'm, I'm saying that's something we have to fight. So lesson number two is to teach our daughters to be beautiful. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that if, even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair or the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So we're, we're given a definition here, if you will, of beauty. Now, I think you can, take, you can look at this as a continuum and go down either extreme. He said, I want my daughter to be really ugly on the inside and just be beautiful on the the outside and beautiful on the inside. Well, that's not what scripture says, and we'll come to examples of that in a minute. And and that's an art more than a science. If you want me to say, okay, you you get in discussions of makeup. How much makeup? Is it eyeliner? I'm not here to do that today. I'm not going to try to make those rules for you. I once had somebody say to me, if the house needs painting, you paint the house. Yeah, I, I... I, I don't, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you decide what you want to do with that as fathers and mothers because I, I, don't, I don't want to go down that road with you today. But w- w- what I will say is the, the beauty is not only quote-unquote internal. It's not the girl with a good personality who also works really hard and carries lots of water to the camels, okay? Our, our daughters can look beautiful and still be modest. We, I see that just looking out through this church in the, in the one day that I've been here, that, that you do do this here, so I suspect it's not a hard lesson for you. We don't want the harlot at this end of the continuum, but we also don't say that that's, it's just an internal beauty, that, that our, our daughters shouldn't look attractive. That's that's silly, okay? That, there's, there's nowhere in Scripture that defends that. Modesty, yes, but, but trying to purposely look ugly, no. I've told my, my boys that there's nothing virtuous about pursuing an ugly wife. I mean, I, and, and, and nobody really, I don't know anybody that does that. There's a... The Abbott and Costello joke, you guys, ever, you guys are all, most of you too young to even know who Abbott and Costello is. They, they had this routine, and, they'd, and, and the, the one, the, the chunkier guy, I can never remember which one's which. And he says, I think I'm going to marry an ugly woman. And, and the other guy says, well, why would you marry an ugly woman? He says, well, a beautiful woman might leave me. And he says, well, an ugly woman might leave you, too. He says, yeah, but I wouldn't care. <laughs> and, and, but but that, that's, not, that's not what we want to say to our sons or our daughters, right? It's, it's, not, it's not, well, then you don't have much to lose. We're going to pursue, we all pursued beautiful women. So, so why should we be surprised if our sons pursue beautiful women and our daughters want to be beautiful and, and have a, a young man attracted to them? Um, What's interesting, if you take a look at Sarah, it's, it's reminded me of this. If you go through Scripture and read about Sarah, read about Rebecca, you read about Rachel, they're all described as beautiful. And they're not genetically related to each other. Remember, they all married into that family, Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and Jacob. They they snuck; in, they, they didn't sneak in. They came in as, as, as uh, in-laws, not as blood relations. So you can't say they're all beautiful because they were in the same line because they're not genetically, at least not closely genetically related. What um, What happened? Why, why, would, why would you see that chain? What, what, what would cause you to see three generations and marrying beautiful women each time? God's blessing? God's blessing? Absolutely. What, I heard someone else. What
1: else? There is, there is a standard of universal attractiveness that the, men, that the, the culture they are established.
0: Sure. And, and where did Isaac and Jacob learn that? From their, mother, their, father. their father, right? They, they saw, right? We, kids don't always do what we say, but they will always do what we do. Right? And we see that in their sin. Um, we, you know, don't you think? You see, you see your dad. He's in a he's in a glorious marriage with your with your mother. Uh, your mother continues to look beautiful, even after they're married, and that doesn't affect how your sons think about that. I mean, or your daughters for that matter. I mean, we, we don't say to ourselves, "Okay, get them married off, and then they can kind of let themselves go." Right? This I realize this could be a delicate topic, but the idea is you encourage your wife to be beautiful even after she's married to you. Right? Because she is modeling that both for your sons and your daughters. And you're telling your, you're telling your kids, you, you got put on a stage the day you had children. Whether you wanted to be or not, everything you started doing was being examined and copied and in some cases rejected. But uh, by and large, if, it's, if there's some godliness to it, being accepted. And, and you don't want to say, okay, I'm going to tell my wife not to be beautiful. You should encourage your wife to be beautiful uh, t- just so she's beautiful. But also to set an example to your kids that this, this is marriage. This is beautiful. The, the church is, is a lovely bride of, of Christ. We we should be encouraging beauty in our wives, not just say, I landed you, now, just let yourself go. That's not what we want to see happen. All right, likewise. Uh, I go the wrong way. All right, but let your adorning be the hidden person. Okay, I did this already. Um, again, we're still talking about teaching our daughters to be beautiful. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca who was born of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. All right, let me. Uh, all right, so what, is, what does verse 16 tell us about uh, Rebekah? Right, this, is, this makes the case from before, right? It's not, I want her to be homely on the outside, but then just by her hard work and her labors look, look good. That, that She was attractive in appearance. She was considered uh, beautiful, and there's, there's nothing wrong with being attractive in her appearance. How many verses in this passage, and I know we're going to keep going with it, but how many verses do you think are dedicated to her external appearance? It's really just this one, okay? It's not... Again, we look at that continuum from harlotry to dressing like we we all know the young ladies who are definitely trying to get boys to look at them a little too hard, right? And we know with our eye, okay, that's not the way we want to see our daughters go. But we also don't want them to go and and have them in the burqa and huddled up in the corner in the fetal position either. This is somewhere in between. Her physical attraction is is obvious. It's mentioned here in Scripture, but it's not the focus. We'll keep going with it. Um, When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, "'I will draw water for your camels also.'" until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar to the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The men man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Tim Bailey had used this same passage in the in the last session and he's saying that about eight eight one gallon of water is about eight pounds. So if you think about how much a camel drinks, what 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 do we see about Rebecca, from this passage, the two slides that I've just put up, we got one verse about her being physically attractive, externally physically attractive. What else do we see? She's thoughtful. She's thoughtful. Very hardworking. Very, very hard. We don't. Uh, she's probably worked harder than I have in the past week, just in this one passage. Uh, physically harder. Yeah. What else? I heard someone else say. Something.
1: She was. I mean, she was
0: generous. She sure. To the sure. Actually, very generous. Very thoughtful. Industrious. Right? Do, do we point our daughters to this example? Okay. You got you got verse sixteen. Okay. She was attractive in appearance. No problem there. It's a virgin. And then she was very industrious, very hardworking. What what do we see beyond the physical appearance? How do we define beauty to our daughters? How, how have you defined it, or how should we be defining it? What else do you see? You just naturally see a woman, a young lady, and you say, "Man, I'd like my son to marry that woman." Gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle and quiet spirit. Okay. Very good. What else? She doesn't. Right. She's primed to help. Okay. She's not, emotionally wrong. she's not rescuing the damsel. She's right. Rescuing right. And she apparently is not so concerned about her attractive appearance that she can't she's not afraid to do a little hard work, right? All right. What else? I mean what what would you either in terms of pointing to your daughters and saying this is what this is the beauty we'd like to see in you, daughters, or sons, this is the kind of daughter we'd like to or the kind of girl we'd like to see you pursue. As a wife, what else do you see here? What other attributes? She's very
1: respectful. When sits for she immediately says, yes, my Lord, and immediately it down.
0: And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink, right? So we, we see a lot that we like. We, we'd like our sons to marry a young lady like this, right? And we'd like to see our daughters be this way. So this is, this is beauty. She's attractive, yet she's also very hardworking. And that's part of her attraction as well. And he he yeah, away. she asked for a drink. He asked for a drink, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. She went and did the hard work. And absolutely, not just simply okay. I'll do what I was told, but going or asked, i was go beyond that. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. So we're teaching our daughters to be beautiful. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Here's one more definition of beauty from Scripture. That we can use let's who are the beautiful women in this world right they're the children of God they're the daughters of God they are the ones how how attractive do you see the fruit of the spirit manifesting itself in young ladies when you see I, I typically see it in my daughters i've seen it I've seen it at different ages, but typically preteen, teenagers, you start to say, okay, what was maybe rote memorization of scripture as a little kid and a sense of being very obedient, you start to see some of that initiative that you talked about, even going beyond what you said. A man in our church recently had his father pass away, and his daughter, his teenage daughter, came up to him and and learned about the, the man's, her grandfather's death, and instead of expressing her grief although I'm sure she was grieving she immediately went up to this father this man in our church about my age and asked how he could be she could be of comfort to him in the loss and was her first priority was was trying to tend to this man's needs in our church and and, uh, and that's what I describe as the beauty that's a biblical beauty it, it is it's how beautiful upon the mountains of feet who of him who bring good news we want to see our children already acting out their faith i've seen a lot of beauty in the young ladies in our church at the abortion clinic ministry that our church is a part of. I, I see those young ladies out there and they are just faithfully protesting. They're, they're getting yelled at by people. They're getting yelled obscenities by people out of cars on the streets. sometimes. They're, they're, they're being yelled at and they're saying to them, oh, really, you're gonna adopt our baby? And, and, and saying all these things and, and dealing with some, you know, uh, dealing with it very graciously our previous point, but it's, it's, it's very beautiful to see young ladies serving God this way. It's not about how big their nose is or any other body part. It, it's, about, uh, it's about seeing this, who, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The young lady you want your, your boys to marry and the young lady you want your daughters to be is the one who shouts from the mountaintop, your God reigns. It's... All right, teach our daughters to be beautiful. There is a beauty that we don't want them pursuing. If, you, uh, if, we, if we were going to point our daughters to one place in Scripture and we all had 30 seconds to think of it, we'd probably all think of the Proverbs 31 woman. How much of Proverbs 31 talks about that woman's appearance? Actually, the, the, it is. I, I don't believe it does. Uh, that, that, again, is. I, I don't want to make the opposite point of what I made before. We still don't say that appearance means nothing. We don't, want, we don't call our daughters to be beautiful. But in talking about an industrious woman, I don't, I don't want to take the time right now to read through it. But if you look at the Proverbs 31 woman, can you think of some of the attributes just from the, the hundreds of times you've probably read that passage? A lot, lot that we, we attributed to Rebecca already, right? Name a couple. Hardworking. Hard working. Trustworthy. Industrious. Trustworthy. Trustworthy. Absolutely. And that's, there's there's not, not a lot of mention. Of, of what she looks like there's a lot of mention of what she does so a lot of what we describe and, and of course proverbs 31 says charm is deceitful and beauty is vain and that's a that's an uh, external beauty but a woman who fears the lord is to be praised so going back to the previous from from isaiah a woman who fears the lord that's the real beauty those are the beautiful ones charm is deceitful and beauty is vain what is charm what's a what's a working definition of charm Someone's trying to charm you. What are they doing? The
1: ability to uh, seduce, basically.
0: Sure, sure. We, we don't want our daughters getting the wrong impression here as we call them to be beautiful. We're not calling them to be charming in this sense, right? We're not calling them to say, you start using words that you think guys want to hear just so you can get their attention, right? We, we don't want you to try charming them. We don't want, And some girls have practiced that with their fathers already, right? They've batted an eye and while the sons are getting uh, uh, the belt in the back room, the daughters have batted their eyes at their fathers and, and got away with just about everything. And of course, what are those daughters going to do when they get married? They're going to at least expect it, right? The husband, Lord willing, won't give into that and won't do it. But, but at that, that least that will be attempted. We can expect that. So. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. We want our daughters to first and foremost fear the Lord. All right, what's the only place in Scripture, now that I put it up here, that you see an extensive description of someone's external appearance? It's the Song of Solomon, right? I, gave, I, I telegraphed that one for you. Um, who, who is the who is the speaker and who is the recipient in the Song of Solomon? Yeah, different people say different answers. I know, but. Uh, if it's if, if we're talking about the physical people who do the talking here, who is it? Solomon is a Shulamite woman, right? How many times, okay, this is an extensive, and I just put a little bit of it up here. Your neck is as beautiful as the Tower of David, jeweled with the shields of a thousand heroes. Your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle grazing among the lilies. And, and we could go on, the rest of it's up there. This This frames for us the appropriate time to be talking about physical appearance, right? between husband and wife, between um, uh, when is physical appearance talked about inappropriately? How about young men commenting on w- to each other extensively about a woman's appearance? Not not saying, oh, she's a cute girl, but going way beyond that. How many times do young ladies look at another young lady and make a comment about how she looks, her hair, or her features, her weight, whatever? This is the only place in Scripture I could find. There may be others. This is the only one I could find as I look for it, where beauty is talked about in physical terms this way. Well, how about us guys? Are we talking to our wives this way? Are we telling our wives how beautiful they are? And are we doing that in front of our children? Now, you may put some details out of it in front of your kids that you'd put in it when they weren't around. But Don't mention fawns. Fawns, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd stay away from fawns, yeah. But, but do, do, as you go back to your kids, we'll do what you do. Are you modeling for both your sons and your daughters the fact that you think your wife is beautiful and you tell her she's beautiful? Will your daughter look for a young man who will tell her that, he, that she is beautiful if he hear, she hears her father doing it to her mother? Much more likely. And, of course, that will have fruit with your sons as well. So we, we, we often in our sin talk about physical appearance everywhere we're not supposed to be and don't do it here. So our, our, our lesson we could draw from there is we teach our daughters to be beautiful by Telling our wives they're beautiful, and then expecting a woman to look for the same thing. Do you tell your daughter she's beautiful? Let's go there for a second. How do you do it? Not—it's not a trick question. It's just. Um.
1: Daughter, like, how you dress
0: today? Yeah, yeah. Sure, you—you you look very nice today. You are beautiful. I mean, we—we've had an error that. My wife and I have, my wife's helped me catch in my own home. And that's on Sunday morning, our daughters are typically as dressed up as they are for the, for the course of a week. And I was guilty for a time of only, of being much more likely to tell my daughters that they're beautiful when they were all dressed up on Sunday morning. Sending a very wrong message. Not that it was wrong to say it then, but it was wrong to not say it any other time. And, and, and so what I've endeavored to do with my wife's help is to tell my daughters that they're beautiful not only when they're dressed up, it flies in the face of everything I've been trying to say today if I only do that, right? It's only if you get dialed up, if, you, if you're at your best with the best stuff hanging in your closet, that you're beautiful. No, we tell our daughters that they're beautiful. And we, we point to the definition of beauty is not just in physical appearance, but, hey, that was beautiful what you did. We, my wife and I went out to dinner a few weeks ago, and we came home, and every young child was bathed. Every dish was cleaned up in our, in our kitchen. All the shoes lined up from eight-year-old on down on the front of the fireplace with dress shoes, which is our number one nightmare on Sunday mornings.
1: Amen.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, my do- older daughters, my at the time, fifteen, thirteen, and eleven-year-old daughters, had done all those things in our house without being asked, and you know, that—that's beautiful, girls. That is wonderful. That is, I mean, that's. We want to be praising that at least as much, and certainly, and certainly more, than you've got a very nice dress on. Because the very nice dress is only a function of what nice person in the church gave us a nice dress, right? I mean, they, they don't donate what, it. What, or what extended family member we have that had one daughter and then passed the hand-me-downs to us uh, for us to wear them out. Um, that, that's, that's not the definition of beauty that we want to create with our daughters. So think of all the things that we've talked about today that fall into the definition of beauty and look to your daughters when they're doing those things or when you see their heart inclined in that way, and call that beauty, call that beautiful what it is. All right, number three, call our daughters to be hospitable. Call our daughters to be hospitable. Uh, Hospitality is not a girl-only thing, but our daughters and our wives end up doing the majority of the heavy lifting with hospitality. That's certainly been the case from what I've seen here today. We're called as men to call our daughters to that, and that doesn't mean we can't do dishes or cook anything. Um, uh, we we are to do those things I have a 17 year old son who who right now his first job he got was making pizzas and doing dishes and I was grateful for it because he got those are things I don't want him not to to do Uh, but we we want to teach our daughters to be hospitable because it is something that they'll be called to do in ministry through their entire lives And she prevailed upon us. Okay, there wasn't a lot of notice. There wasn't a night before plugging in the crock pot. There wasn't a bunch of things. It was, it was come and say with us. Are you calling your daughters to be hospitable, even on short notice, even with uh, people that you don't even necessarily know that well? Uh, and are you modeling that by you and your wife being committed to that? Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. Okay, these are strangers. You do, will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Okay, we, we, they've taken care of strangers. Hospitality allows, my wife's hospitality allows me to minister in the way that I get to minister. I'm here today because my wife got up, was up late last night and was up early this morning, helping to set up for a graduation party uh, for uh, sixty to eighty people for extended family members, okay? My wife does things in the church and in our home from a hospitality standpoint that allow me that when we have our small group meet in our house and I'm able to teach, that's because my wife is making sure that every hospitality need with my daughters is, has been taken care of. And it is no less uh, a work than what I do. It's just different work. So do you have your little girls seeing that at an early age? My two year old daughter, my, my four year old daughter was two years old when she started emptying our dishwasher. We, we had to rearrange our kitchen and put all the plates and everything. The cabinet was down at a below countertop level so that our kids could be taught early. Uh, to contribute to hospitality in some way and when we just own twice as many dishes as we use in a meal for the times when other people are over and and you have to take all that goes with that. Fathers, are you you leading in making sure those things are happening in the training of your daughters at an early age and mothers, are you willing to let go of the reins of the kitchen enough to let your daughters do that? When my boys first started cutting my grass, they screwed it up big time. And I sat out there and I paced in the driveway and I said, there's that tall spot you're supposed to put the mower, the rows close enough so you don't do that. Don't scalp the grass. And I was pacing and eventually I had to say they're never going to learn to do it unless I let them do it. it wasn't coaching and whatnot. But are you willing to let maybe the dishes not be quite as clean or get put out of the piles you had for the bowls and the dishes, can they be a little bit mixed up as your daughters are learning that? Um, we occasionally reach down for a bowl in my house and get a dirty one out because the two-year-old's been real ambitious and unloaded a dirty dishwasher instead of the clean one. <laughs> uh, I, I, my, I've been in Florida on a trip and opened up my suitcase and pulled out two socks that don't match each other because my my daughters are uh, were folding laundry and didn't put matching socks together before they got put in my suitcase. So, um, uh, are you willing, as part of that, to have your house actually gets turned upside down while your daughters and your sons are being trained? Right? It's it's whether it's mowing the grass or you know, changing the oil or whatever it is. It's a hard thing to do, but remember that you are training them up so that they will, uh, in turn, do the same when they have homes of their own. The Lord Lord, calls them to be married. We're at, uh, all right, lesson number four, teach our daughters to only consider marrying a believer. This is Tim's topic from the last session for those of you who are in there. Y- you think, well, that's a little bit obvious. Why do we need to see that, say that? Well, let's, let's go through the passage. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. We have lessons for both the children and specifically for the fathers here, right? When, when uh, I see fire alarms up throughout the building here, I don't know if, if, if because of the, if there's a school component to this building, there's probably the need for a fire drill. Why do you have fire drills? So if when a fire happens, you know what to do, right? I'd much rather know right now where the exit to this building is in a period of calm than try to figure out where the exit is when there's a huge fire raging. I encourage you, if you have five-year-old daughters, whatever age, start talking about this now. It, the, the fire drill needs to take place because you want to think through what you need to do during a time of low emotion so you know what to do when there's a time of high emotion when the fire's raging. When the fire of hormones are raging in your daughter and there's a cute guy who's got a new red Mustang and we're not sure he's a believer, but our daughter's heart's inclined toward that young man already before we even know about it. We've got a problem, right? So the fire drill is you talk about, okay, young man, and we we role play this during devotions in my home with, with boys and girls, but we say, okay, I'm a young man, I've got... I've got this car and I've got this job, and I say to my daughter, so what, what else are you looking for? What else are you looking for? And I, I see if they give me the answer. And I, The older ones will do it because I tell them to shush and see if the younger ones can get it. But we sit there and we role play this and we say, hey, what are you looking for there? What needs to happen? We have, I have a half-joking statement that I make in my house. it says, when a young man comes to the house and he's interested in you, I want to see fruit of the spirit and a W-2. And, and the fruit of the Spirit, of course, is not negotiable. And, and we, we tell them that, of course, if a young man 's not going to provide for you, he's worse than an infidel. But, we don't, but we, 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 I mean, we don't make that a certain dollar amount or anything. At least we haven't yet. But uh, uh, so, so we're looking for fruit of the Spirit, right? We're looking for a young man who uh, loves God. And, and we want to learn about his family and we want to learn these things. But uh, So we start talking about that early. And, and the hope is, and Tim brought this up in the last... Last uh, session, is, is he said, you know, our, we've asked all of our children it, that if you get a romantic interest in someone, that you come and talk to us about it. And what I'll steal Tim, a couple of Tim's lines. He said, you know, we point to people in the church and say, that's the kind of, that's the person I want you, the kind of person I want you to marry. That one isn't. It Says the good and the bad. Okay. The fathers have a role here as well. Don't, do not exasperate your children. What my wife and I talked about is we don't abdicate and we don't exasperate. We don't go either. Extreme. We don't look out and say, uh, eh, they're just going to fall for who they're going to fall for." We're going to get out of the way on this one and avoid all the hormones. But we also, as and this is addressed to fathers, don't exasperate your children. Okay, if it's a young man, and this seems with fathers, and I'm I'm just dipping my toe in this pool. So there's some of you in here who've done more of this and can speak to it better than I can. But if it's a young man who comes knocking on your door, he's a believer. Don't sit there and, 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 again, I'm not saying don't use your judgment, but you, can, you, know, you know you can get to the point where you can just try, manufacture reasons why this young man can't date your daughter, can't court your daughter, can't be considered for marriage to your daughter. Um, ultimately, if you keep finding a way to check off everyone, say, nope, he doesn't meet enough of the criteria, get him out of here. I'm not talking about valid criteria. I'm talking about a believing young man, so I want to qualify that. But you can fa- fathers can exasperate their children, their daughters specifically, if there's no, good, there's no guy on this earth good enough to marry their daughter. So you can do that, and that's something that we have to be careful of as much as we're still thinking about the burqa in that situation, right? Let's just wrap them up and put them in a closet till they're 30 and, and uh, do that. I think this thing's just sort of randomly going now. Back to... I think it resets itself. So, All right. All right, from Deuteronomy. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters... For your sons, for they will turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and He will destroy you quickly. There's consequences for for this this not happening. For your daughter, your children not being directed, and not being encouraged to pursue only believers. In the in the consideration of a spouse, think about Solomon's wives. How they turned his heart to other gods. Okay, this is uh, this is not the time for missional dating. You know, a lot of times, every every. Romantic comedy I've ever seen is a young lady thinking she could change some young man. Okay, he needs to change. At least, I mean, I'm not saying that we don't ever change and sanctification doesn't change us. But if, you, if you're looking for him to change from being an unbeliever to a believer, we wait for that to happen first before we get our hearts wound together with him, right? We, um, the, the issue of hearts are one that I think are hard, of hearts coming together has been a hard one. It's one I probably didn't understand until I was in my 20s and i've tried to teach it to my older kids i had a uh, my 17 year old son when he was a few years younger had asked a young lady to a homecoming dance and he didn't talk to me about it first and, and and i said well tell me about this young lady is she a believer and he said no but we're just friends we're going as friends i said no tomorrow you tell her you're not going she's not a believer it's not happening well he went and we said how to go she cried all day in every class I was in with her. She was sobbing. She was, so I, I said, do you think the hearts really weren't become, starting to become joined together? I said, you know, yours may, you may not thought yours was. was and I, I would say with girls, a lot of times they'll attribute things to the heart before the boys even will. I said, you just, I wouldn't even suggest a, a day going out for ice cream. If it's not a believer, I've seen hearts come together. Uh, which starts out very innocently, and, and those hearts are very hard to get unbound. If, if I would suggest there's a point where enough toothpaste comes out of the tube that you can't do it. So I would say, I would, my suggestion would be don't even let your daughters form opposite-sex friendships, or your sons, with, uh, w- with someone who's not a believer. I'm talking about opposite-sex, because uh, the interest there can quickly blossom, and you've got a mess on your hands. So... Um, the, the last example that I'll give, and I don't think I, have a, I, don't, have, I don't have a slide for it, is uh, Nehemiah. Okay, we go through. We have sort of phases in the book of Nehemiah. We have Nehemiah, and he goes and he's, he's working as a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, and he feels led to go and build the wall in Jerusalem. And we have several chapters that describe that in great detail. He goes back to the king again, and then comes back uh, in, in chapter 13. I think it's the last chapter in Nehemiah. And he finds all kinds of things that he's not happy about. First of all, he finds uh, Tobiah, one of his enemies, living in the temple. He throws him out, cleanses the temple, and, and uh, moves back into the temple what's supposed to be there. So he was sort of cleansing the church, I guess. He was purifying the church. He was dealing with sin in the church, if you wanted to put it in, in, in modern vernacular. He then realizes that the, the Levites are not getting paid because no one's tithing. And he calls upon the people to tithe again. And they begin tithing. Uh, we then have issues with people selling either at the wall or inside the, inside, the, uh, inside the temple itself. He throws them out and threatens to lay hands on them. D- do you remember who he has the most violent reaction for? What happens after that? He learns that, yeah he learns that some of the sons and daughters who have married outside the faith, Moabites and ammonites, what does he do? you remember He curses them. Tears out their hair. His most violent reaction is not for those who are violating the Sabbath, not keeping it holy, not for those who are causing, allowing sin to be existent in the in the church or in the temple. In that case, he's not. Uh, his most violent reaction is not for those people who aren't tithing. His most violent reaction are for those who are marrying outside the faith. He punches them. He he hits them. He tears their hair out. He curses them. And, and so I think if if you're if you're taking if you're just using that. Nehemiah 13 is an example. You can just see a, a scale in terms of Nehemiah's response in terms of what he considers to be the most serious problem. We are uh, As we are raising our children, as we're raising our daughters, we're raising our grandchildren. Okay, And, and uh, this last point, teaching our daughters to only consider marrying a believer, seems very simple and very obvious. But, but I would encourage you, as a guy who has, I have two teenage daughters and 5 preteen pre-teen uh, daughters, is that it, it's... I'd encourage you to have the discussion before the hormones are there before you get to the fire and try to figure out where the fire exit is, find the fire exit now and start having the discussion because um, g- girls are more emotional, nothing nothing that I have to make a bullet point or a slide out of, and their hearts do uh, do get intertwined easily with young men who say nice things to them. okay, and so i would I would just take what I think is a very obvious point and encourage you to. Uh, I encourage you to have those discussions with your daughters and I would almost I would suggest it's probably not too soon if you have if you have a daughter it's not too soon you can start in very basic terms right now but uh, uh, then the discussion can get more complex as they get closer to the age so questions comments I wanted to get people involved in the midst of this so I didn't necessarily carve out a section at the end I think we got just a few minutes left if anybody has anything they want to add an example suggestions any men who've seen daughters Get to the age of marriage, any suggestions they would offer for us, guy, and the rest of us that haven't got there yet. All right. Uh, yeah, several hands. Yeah, let's go back. Work our way back here. Hank, oh, you oh, go first.
1: Having uh, four
0: daughters and three of them are girls. About yeah. um, telling telling them that they're beautiful. Mm-hmm been helpful to kind of frame that in the context of their uh, modesty. Okay. It's it's uh, helped them realize that that's because it's hard what they see mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. Uh, held up as beautiful in the world. So you told them that how much skin they reveal is not what determines how beautiful they are. Then, and is that is yeah, that what you're saying? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And, uh, you know they've. Been Good. Let's keep going back. I can't remember who had their hand up next. Sure. More, maybe more introverted personality to start with. Is that, that's been true for her whole life, or has it been just more recent? Or? I, think that's... I, I have a few daughters like that, and I've found that the, the most productive conversations I've had with them is when I've been one-on-one with them. That many of them don't want to compete with three or four or five or seven other siblings for my attention. And they'll always defer to the other ones, even if it's asking questions during Bible time, any of those things. It'll be the kid who just is happy to let the other ones answer. And that is, hey, I'm running to Home Depot. I want you to come with me. And and, and it's, um, it's sometimes it's not the drive there, it's the drive back. And it's, it's time. And again, as a father, I, and I'm especially inclined to this, is I'm looking for the microwave answer to everything. I'm trying to see, I got a to-do list. And I'm trying to see how many things I can check off. And for my daughters especially that are like that, I, I've never been able to, it may take four hours. You, you may have to say to yourself, I'm not going to accomplish anything else today, but do that. And it's and, and I would encourage isolation from the rest of the family. Not that, that that can always happen, but if you can do like a one-on-one in a car somewhere, going somewhere else. Um, uh, and, and again, it's typically the second half of the time with the kids that I have that, that, are, just, that are like the way you're describing your daughter, Brian, that uh, it's not the first five minutes or the 10 minutes. It's the drive home from the store. I'll get a few questions about, Wrenches or something at Home Depot, and then it'll it'll launch into something else. But it's a, it, it does take time, and it's not my strong strength. My my strength, by my own admission. But it's, I, I find you get them by themselves. You give it time, and that's when you're mo- I've most likely been getting productive conversation. Yes. It's not my strength
1: either. But I was really struck this last week. Uh, another elder and I were meeting with a young woman talking to her, and we asked her if there had been a sin that she was struggling with. And- what she said was bitterness against her father because he was there when she was, you know, an infant up through early junior high, checked out during high school, and then kind of showed back up. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was always physically present, When yeah. he said, well, what did he do? And she said he watched the news. And, and we talked a lot about that, and, but, she, but the thing that really burned in my brain was, we said, you talked about how fathers fail, and you know, a lot of fathers have this temptation and working through forgiveness and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. she said, you know, I don't think it would have taken much. Hmm. And, uh, and she said, maybe I'm wrong, but I really don't think it would have taken much.
0: Two minutes. Two minutes, okay. Good deal. And that's a lesson for us as fathers as well, right? It becomes sometimes that little girl who we took fishing with us and did all kinds of things, they hit puberty and we don't have to do with them anymore, do we? It's okay. And, and the more emotional they are, as fathers, the harder it can be sometimes, and we can't disengage, right? We we have to, we have to stay engaged, and it's it may look a lot different. It may look a lot different. That's why I've tried to do things like take trips with my daughters, regardless of their age. I I don't know how long, I'll keep doing that, or if they'll all go with me. I, I keep I always set the expectation you're going with me. You, I never asked them. I just said you're, we're going on this trip. We've done that trip for since I only had two daughters, but I, I've I have to manufacture times. It's hard for me. I have to manufacture times where I can have that time with my daughters to talk because it doesn't just flow. I could easily go through a day and not say two words to some of my daughters just because, um, just, just because they're, they're it's, it's hard to engage, it's hard to attach. The six-year-old daughter, easy, no no problem there. But especially the, the age that you're referencing there with that session, that's one where we have to dig in as men, don't we? Yeah. All right. Got one one more? Yes, sir. Yeah, you
1: have two boys now how what you see happening the you know the, the social dynamic of the boys and the girls you take them out the boys especially
0: I mean the girls you travel with them do you do the same with the boys I do in fact that's where the girl trip came from I used to go camping with my two oldest my two boys first two boys every year and we would go to amusement parks and the girls would say, "Well, when are you going to start doing something with us?" And we had two girls at the time, and, and I said, "Well, what do girls I asked my wife? What do girls like to do?" And, and, and I had to ask. and They said, "Well, well, they go. You go take them shopping. I said, what what else do they like to do?" <laughs> and, 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 and so we actually take this trip. and I got free bus tickets, so I ended up in Chicago this year. It's the only it's the first time we've ever done the Chicago trip, but. Yeah, you know, and my girls are not clothes hounds or anything like that. So it was you know, Lego store more than it was Neiman Marcus or any place like that. But um, I have to. I try to connect with my daughters where they are, and they don't. They do camp, but that's not what my daughters want to do most. And so you know, we we just drive in a car and we talk. And some of them talk more than others. And and, uh, and they they have. You know, I have fun. I think they do sometimes. You know, you you don't always know, but uh, it's, that doesn't mean there's well. It's. I try to meet them where they are, and, and try to do things with them that they like, and even it's stuff I can't stand to do. So, all right, Dan, can I have you close us? Close sure. us in prayer, please. Thanks.